0: Good morning. Thanks for watching this morning. We're gonna to continue today in Mark's Gospel, and so if you were with us the last couple of times, you know we've gotten to uh, about chapter, uh, chapter one, verse 11. And uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and as he came out of the water, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, or like a dove. And uh, the only time really we see the Holy Spirit portrayed this way is at the baptism of Jesus. But um, when this happens, um, a voice comes from heaven, uh, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we see this wonderful picture of the Trinity there present. uh, Father speaking from heaven, Holy Spirit, alighting upon the Son. And uh, they're at this point of baptism. And um, what's interesting is that right after this, uh, something really important for us, Happens in the life of Jesus, something very instructive for us. And so uh, let's look here as we move into verse 12 of chapter 1 of Mark's gospel, uh, where right after uh, verse 11, where the Father speaks from heaven, You're my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Now this is very characteristic of Mark to abbreviate many of the accounts that we see in the other synoptic gospels. Speaking of Matthew and Luke, along with Mark, those three gospels share many similarities, very different from John, which is unique uh, in so much of what he uh, writes about. But here in Mark's gospel, what makes him somewhat unique even among the synoptics is the brevity that he Uh, tells the stories and he doesn't go into the account of the temptation like Matthew and Luke do as a matter of fact I'll invite you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4 It's in Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter four that we see the more expanded uh, description of this account. And so uh, here in Matthew, I'm gonna go ahead and read in verse uh, one of chapter four just to kind of fill out the account a little bit here where Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In order to be tempted by the devil, the Holy Spirit led the Son into the wilderness for this purpose. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Uh, which is not just sort of a, duh, of course he's hungry, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. No, actually what's happened here is that he has fasted so long that his body, which has long since exhausted the food within his stomach, uh, is now starting to actually draw from any of the other materials within the body it can in order to survive. In other words, he's not just hungry, he's actually starving, literally starving. And uh, it's at that point that Satan ultimately comes and tempts him. Now again, uh, afterward he was hungry. Verse three, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in his hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Always beware when the devil starts quoting scripture. You know, he's not using it correctly. And Jesus points this out when he says to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God or put him to a foolish test, as Luke uh, would add there. In uh, verse eight, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down, And worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. And in Luke, uh, he adds the point that Satan was looking for another opportune time uh, to come after Jesus. Uh, And so here we have this account, which probably is somewhat familiar to many. Um, Jesus is in the wilderness, driven there, as Mark says. Uh, And uh, interestingly, how Mark uses the word immediately. Uh, This is a word he uses nine times in chapter one. Uh, The word speaks of this idea of just this quick moving along. And that's very characteristic of Mark in his account of the gospel. Um, But the Holy Spirit leads Jesus or drives Jesus into the desert. That same Holy Spirit that distinguished Jesus as the Son of God, uh, uh, along with the voice from heaven, now drives him into the wilderness where he is to be tempted by Satan. Uh, Let me start by just pointing out the fact that um, it was after 40 days of fasting that Satan began to tempt him. Now, it may have been that there were temptations prior, but we don't see that in Scripture. Uh, it says in Mark that he was tempted uh, over those 40 days, whether that means that there were continuous temptations that ultimately culminated in these, or whether it uh, just speaks of the fact that within that 40 days these took place. Uh, not totally clear, but we do know that at uh, the way that Matthew and Luke both record it, um, it's after these 40 days of fasting and praying in the in the, in the wilderness there, uh, being led there by the Holy Spirit. It's at that point that Jesus becomes tempted, he comes to be tempted by the devil. Uh, in other words, Satan tempted Jesus at his weakest point. Uh, he didn't go out there in the beginning, he went there at the end when Jesus was starving, literally, at a, at a weak point. And, and Satan, of course, prodded at that by uh, that first temptation, uh, telling Jesus, hey, if you're the son of God, make these stones become bread. After all, didn't you speak the universe into existence? Isn't this your thing? Turn this turn this, this, stone into bread, uh, appealing to that flesh need, that, that very legitimate fleshly need. But Jesus would not give in to that, into Satan's temptation. But just recognize this about the devil. The devil doesn't play fair. Uh, there's this wonderful scene, forgive me for using pop analogies, I'll probably use millions of them in the course of any of these podcasts, but um, Uh, There's this great scene in The Incredibles where, uh, of course, uh, if you're familiar with the movie The Incredibles, it's this family of superheroes. Well, they're 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 at a point where the parents have to leave the uh, the the two younger teenage or the teenage daughter and the the younger son, and uh, and the mom is speaking to them and says, "Hey, use your powers and all this kind of a thing because." The bad guys here aren't like the the bad guys on TV. They're not going to show restraint when they try to stop you and that kind of a thing. And it's in, it's just interesting in an animated movie to see that. But, you know, that's exactly... Uh, what is at play here? And that we need to remember when we think about the devil. This is not some guy in red pajamas with a pitchfork. This is not some kind of silly looking character there that just uh, tries to trip us up when he can. No, this is this is the embodiment of pure, unadulterated evil. This is somebody who is seeking to ultimately uh, to, to kill and to steal and to destroy. <clears throat> and at any opportunity, he will seek to do this in your life. Uh, And don't think that he'll show compassion and say, oh, I'll wait till you're feeling a little more up to this. No, he will kick you when you're down, stomp you when you're down, and try to bury you when you're down. And you will be relentless, and he will not show you mercy. Do not ever, ever, ever think that the devil is going to uh, give you a break. He won't. As a matter of fact, if it weren't for the hand of God on your life, uh, you would be toast. You and I would be done. We'd be finished. Uh, remember, Michael the archangel in the book of Jude is disputing with Satan over the body of Moses, whatever that means. And and when he's doing this, it's even Michael, this archangel, this this heavy hitter, says, The Lord rebuke you. You know, so Michael himself isn't just taken on Satan by himself. Ultimately, it's the Lord that needs to rebuke Satan. We never want to, uh, you know, we don't want to... Uh, spend too much time dwelling on the devil and all of that but we never want to underestimate not only his capacities but also his capacity for evil and so here in this we see this with the son of god himself satan waits until he's at his his physical weakest moment and begins to bring these temptations upon him and there are three Uh, the one of course appeals to the flesh you know I, i turn the stones into bread and jesus responds to that temptation by quoting from deuteronomy all three of these Uh, Passages that Jesus quotes from are from the law, from Deuteronomy. But the first answer that Jesus gives is it's not written, or it's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, there is something more important than my flesh. Even though I'm in this condition of being literally starving, there is still yet something more important than just my physical need. And I'm not going to simply uh, take your advice and go ahead and feed myself. No, rather instead, I'm gonna press in to my Father in heaven. And of course, there is something in there for us as well when temptation comes after the flesh and we're so tempted to do something that we know we shouldn't because it'll bring satisfaction it is always remember to press in and remember what god has said and to do what he says and not follow the leading of the devil the second temptation uh, would have been uh ultimately some of the greatest pr in the history of pr Uh, he brings jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple and says throw yourself off the angels will catch you. It says so in God's word, right? You're quoting the scriptures, let me quote the scriptures, that he'll give his angels charge over you and they'll lift you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone, uh, um, quoting from Psalm 91. Uh, and so Satan says, throw yourself off the temple, the angels will catch you. Imagine if Jesus did that and everybody saw angels coming to his rescue to, to, to just set him down gently on the ground after off, jumping off the temple, uh, the, the heights of the temple. Um That would have been some great free advertising. That would have been some great uh, PR work and all that kind of a thing. But Jesus said, no. He said, it's also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, as Luke says, or put him to a foolish test is the idea. I believe that's how Luke puts it. Um, but the idea here of not foolishly testing God in, in, in those ways. Um, does does God promise to protect? Sure. Does that mean we should go run out in front of a car and test that? Of course not. Uh, we shouldn't jump off a building, assuming that God will circumvent gravity for us. No, that's dumb. We shouldn't do that. We should use wisdom as, as well as walk in faith. Um, but in those moments where God has promised to protect and he decides to demonstrate that protection, sure. But Jesus says we don't put the Lord to a foolish test. Um, Now, recognize that Satan knows Scripture too. Now, he uses it in ways that are uh, not the way they were intended. He uses them to twist things, but he does quote Scripture. He knows the Bible, uh, oftentimes, sadly, better than some of God's own children do. Uh, But believe me, he knows the Word. But don't ever be... Uh, twisted uh, or let your thinking about the truth of God or in this particular case that you can somehow see God differently than he is that he'll just at your beck and call decide to start um, circumventing you know his creation in order to just you know kind of satisfy your foolish desire for recognition And that no 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 Jesus says no this is wrong we don't do this we don't put the Lord to the your God to a uh, foolish test or to tempt him Third time, the devil takes him up to an exceedingly high mountain, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you these things. Now this may have been the greatest temptation of all, uh, of all three, because in this moment, Satan offers to give Jesus that which Jesus came to buy back. Uh, You remember in the garden, uh, right before the arrest and the cross and all that would follow, uh, and all that would follow that moment, Jesus cries out to the Father in prayer, Father, if there's any other way, but nevertheless, not not my will, but yours be done. Uh, It weighed heavy on Jesus, what he was going to physically go through for the sake of paying for the sins of the world, uh, both physically and even spiritually, just the idea that for a moment there, as he looked into heaven and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, it wasn't just the physical agony that he endured, but also the, the fact that for the only only moment in all eternity, the Father turns away from the Son. I can't imagine how agonizing that must have been for that fellowship in that moment to somehow in some way uh, be severed while Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself and paid for it. Well, here, uh, in, an effort, and in doing that, he's ultimately uh, opening the door to all of the restoration that will follow. Well, Satan here offers to give it to him. Here, I'll give it to you, it's all mine. Notice Jesus doesn't dispute that it belongs to Satan at this point. Of course, God is always sovereign. God is always uh, uh, over all things, but in a very real way, this world does belong to the devil. It's influenced heavily by him. By and large, most people in the world are under the sway of the wicked one. And here Satan says, I'll give it to you if you'll worship me. Now that gives us insight into what Satan is actually after. If you read in uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, uh, it speaks about the character of Satan, the nature of Satan, and uh, and how he seeks to be like the Most High and all of these things. Well, here Jesus is being tempted with having sort of a chance to forego the cross and instead just be given the things that he came here ultimately to, to buy back. And, uh, and Jesus will not do it. He will not give in to that. Instead, he says, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And that is, again, an astounding demonstration of the strength of the son in that moment of weakness to be able to still in that incredible temptation to be able to have all of those things without all of the things he would go through uh, was had to be tempting. Of course, people will debate, could Jesus actually have been tempted? Could he have sinned and gone off in these directions as Satan tempted him? Well, people will argue that back and forth, but I have to believe at least on some level there had to have been legitimate temptation for this passage to be meaningful. And so um, uh, how that works with the one unique God-man, Jesus Christ, we don't know exactly, but we do know that certainly Satan believed that the son could be tempted away. Uh, And so that's good enough for me to recognize that there was some legitimate sense of temptation here Uh, and and in that that humanity uh, that was clothing deity, uh, there had to be this moment where Jesus was in fact tempted somewhat Let me go back just for a moment though and remind us that it was actually the Holy Spirit that drove Jesus into the wilderness for the purpose of this temptation. Uh, God himself does not tempt nor is he tempted, as James says, but at the same time, God does use temptations and trials for very important purposes in our lives. Uh, We should not uh, think for a moment that uh, when we identify with God, that when the wilderness times come, and they will, And the temptations come, and they will. That this is somehow a strange thing for a believer to have to face, it's not. It's actually something that is uncomfortable, but it's not uncommon. It's not something that we should ever think is not part and parcel with the Christian life. But like Jesus demonstrated for us, in those moments where we find ourselves in the wilderness or we find ourselves in full-blown temptation, we press into the Lord, we we run to him, we remember what God has said, we cling to his promises, Uh, we continue to walk forward without giving in to the temptations in that. Satan seeks to tempt, but God seeks to temper, like steel in a fire and a forge. Uh, this, this trial that comes upon us uh, is something that is intended to strengthen us and build us. Whereas Satan seeks to use it to tear down, God uses it to build up and to strengthen and fortify. Um, matter of fact, turn to James, if you would. Uh, James chapter one, as we kind of bring this around. Uh, in James chapter one, uh, verse two, James says these words. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay, that's not our typical response to trials, right? And James is not being sadistic here or masochistic when he says, you know, um, hey, it's a great thing when you're being tried. Woo! No, it's not like that at all. Instead, he says, see it for what it is. Recognize it as a good thing when God allows these things into your life or leads you to a place where you will experience some of these things because it's in them that ultimately uh, this testing produces, uh, this testing of your faith produces patience and it has its perfect work that you may be mature and lacking nothing. Um, The trials that we go through in life uh, are not intended by God to tear us down. Before you're a believer, trials oftentimes are meant to, to break us down to, to our point of recognizing our need. But in the life of a believer, while that still can continue to be true depending on what's going on in our lives or what God is working on, they're still not intended to ultimately destroy us. They're intended to break things away that need to be broken away, to prune things off the the branches, it were, that need to be pruned off, that it might be healthy and strong and bear more fruit. This is what trials and, and, and persecutions even are for in the life of a believer. Ultimately, this is to God's glory, but it's also for the sake of our growth. It's for the sake of us becoming more like Jesus. And so when we go through these temptations, we go through these trials, or we find ourselves simply in a wilderness period where we feel far from God, recognize that these are things that are ultimately intended to build us up and not to tear us down. Sometimes those are the necessary tools uh, and, and methods that God uses to accomplish great purposes in the lives of his children. And so after this temptation, back in Mark's gospel, chapter uh, four, uh, chapter one, verse 14, it says that now after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We'll spend more time on those two verses uh, next time, but let me just tie this together and point out the fact that when we identify with God, it is often at that point. That he will lead us into a place of testing and tempering uh, in the wilderness, and then ultimately set us out into works of ministry. Uh, I think it was Tozer that said that God, when He uses someone greatly, first wounds him deeply, uh, and that sounds harsh, and it sounds like an odd thing for a for a uh, someone who loved God like Tozer did. Um, but there's something wise about that. This recognition that God brings us to this place of, of utter dependence and brokenness oftentimes, and then he begins to use us. Uh, Paul would say in Philippians three, oh, that I might know him, both in the power of his resurrection, but also being conformed to his death. In other words, whatever it takes, I want to know you, Lord. Well, we tie these things together and recognize that God knows the best thing about our relationship with him is that he brings us into a deeper place in it. And sometimes that means taking us out and experiencing trials and temptations and such in the wilderness, because it's in those places that we draw close to him, that we learn to draw close to him, and that ultimately he works in us and then ultimately Uh, works through us. And so we're gonna stop there for today and we'll again pick up where Jesus begins his ministry after this uh, next time. But thanks for joining uh, today. Let me go ahead and pray us out and we pray God goes before you today. Father, thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the lessons that you teach us as we spend time in it. Uh, Father, there's such richness and, and gain to be, uh, to be, uh, to be uh, taken in from going through your word verse by verse this way. So help us, as we grow as students of it, to recognize those benefits and to continue to plumb deeper and deeper. And Father, we pray that you'd watch over us until we meet again. Thank you for your grace and goodness toward us, and we love you and we praise you.